At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Well, good morning. I want to begin this morning by uh, referencing something that most of us spend much time and much attention on at least one point in one segment of our lives, and that is our wedding day. But the question is, how much of it is really required? I mean, how much of that preparation is really significant? How much do we really need? What do the experts say? Well, to get a better handle on this, I decided to do my own research. And, uh, you know, like every pastor who's preparing for a sermon, I went to thenot.com for my sermon prep uh, to learn a little bit more about what that kind of timeline might look like. And so, on that particular website, they kind of walk it out for us in terms of what wedding preparation might look like. So, for those of you who have experienced a wedding or are planning one or considering one, uh, this is going to give you a little... uh, a little guidance along the way. So here we go. A year or so out, you should have a few of these things in mind. You should begin picking the style of your wedding. You should begin to putting together your budget and what that kind of wedding will look like for you because that will determine a lot of what comes next. Then at some point, you might even hire a wedding planner. You might even hire a professional. Now, once those things have been secured, you can kind of pick a day and a time, you can pick the venue, and then, of course, you want to start thinking about who those close to you are in terms of planning your wedding party. That's about a year or so out. Then once you get to the eight to ten month window, the knot recommends the bride should begin to shop for the wedding gown. Now, I know some of you probably said, hey, I had that long before a year. But at this point, they're saying, hey, that's kind of required, so you want to have that secured in that eight to ten month window. Then you certainly plan for the food and the entertainment at the reception. You begin to look at hotels in the area to reserve yourself for those out-of-town guests, maybe set up a gift registry, again, in that eight to ten-month window. And you fast-forward in terms of your preparation a little bit. You get to that six to eight-month window, and you secure the musicians, the photographer for the ceremony, and just a little little tip for you, that's probably also the time you want to talk to the pastor, uh, and then start and then start digging in in terms of your wedding ceremony. And then at this point, you also want to kind of plan for the honeymoon. Now, here's what's important. We are at the halfway point of the preparation. A lot has already happened, but there's still a lot more to go. So hang on with me. Four to six months out, that's when you would typically begin your premarital counseling. A quick aside, that's very important for those of you who are considering getting married. Anybody in your family, please recommend that. That's really crucial. So commercial off will keep going with the timeline. Uh, This is the point where you get those invitations, you order those wedding rings, that's the four to six month window. 
Then you get to the three months out, you want to order your tuxedo, you want to have the bridal shower. Again, this is what the timeline suggests on the knot.com. Once you get down to the two months before the wedding, things are getting a little more intense, a little closer, you mail out those invitations, maybe even spend some time together working on your vows. Now, you're one month out. Got to get the marriage license. It's always important. Kind of have the final stages of that marriage program that you're going to hand to people at the wedding. And then you get down to two weeks. Two weeks is go time, isn't it? That's when you want to finalize the RSVP list. You want to set the seating chart for the reception. You want to go over the ceremony details, all of them with the pastor. You have that rehearsal dinner a few days beforehand. You have gifts for the bridal party. That's within that last couple of weeks, last few days. And then the all-important thing happens. You actually have to show up for the wedding. It's very, very important. But that is a year's worth of preparation for your big day. A year plus for some people. A year's worth of work preparing for that special day so it will be all that you dream it will be, all that you want it to be. Now, I highlight that because today we are looking at a story that Jesus tells us from Matthew's gospel, and it's about a wedding. It's a story about a wedding, and I want to tell you it's about preparation preparation for that wedding. We're going to turn there in just a minute, but before we do, let's pray together. Gracious God, we come to you today having sung your praises. We spoke of your holiness. We proclaim that you are holy, holy, holy. That's an act of worship, God, and that's why we're here. We're here to offer you our worship. And so at this point, God, in, in our worship service, in our worship experience, God, we desire to come before you with open hands, with an open heart, and with an open mind that you might meet with us, that you might show us your truth, that you might help us to understand the significance of a story that was written and penned some 2,000 years ago that yet has bearing on our lives today. But God, in order to understand that, we need eyes to see the truth of your word. So we ask for those. We need ears to hear the truth that's found on this, in this story. So we ask for that. And then, God, we ask for genuine, humble hearts before you, that you would be able to teach us, to mold us, and to shape us into what you want us to be. We invite you to do that through the power of your Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the sermon series is called, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. The biblical text is, the Olivet Discourse from Matthew's Gospel. The speaker is Jesus, and he's sharing about the near future as well as the distant and long-term future, and he's doing so with his closest friends, the disciples. And then he tells a story 
And Jesus tells the story, and what he, when he does that, he tells it in something called a parable. He tells it in a parable. Now, the simplest way to describe a parable is it is a verbal picture of the world around us. That's kind of the, the basic and most pure form of what a parable is. I'd like to add a little bit more depth to that understanding and look at it this way. A parable tells a story using a familiar setting that you and I experience in our daily lives to teach a new lesson, to teach a new lesson. So that's what Jesus is going to do for us today as we turn to Matthew's gospel. So let's grab our Bibles. I want to invite you to turn to chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25. We're going to begin at verse 1 and then read that first section in our text. Again, Matthew chapter 25. Here are the words of Christ. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom. Here is the bridegroom. A clarion call for the bridegroom. And he says, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, and what they did was they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealer and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with the marriage feast, and then the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So like we talked about with a parable, it's a familiar setting. Parables often reference that familiar setting that we are, uh, we're going to understand. We understand the concept of a wedding ceremony. And then there's the bridegroom. There is a group of ten virgins. We'll explain that in just a moment. And then they each have a lamp. We're going to unpack what that means as well. Now what I also would ask of you as we talk about this familiar setting, I would ask that we would have a humble-hearted posture so that Jesus might teach us a new lesson today. We might be familiar with this text. Maybe we've heard this story a hundred times. But let's have a humble posture so that Jesus might teach us a new lesson today. Now, I want to just be honest about something, be completely transparent. For those of you who were here last weekend, I want to state the obvious. This, too, is going to be a message about preparation. If you were here last week, you'd say, yeah, Pastor, I remember when you had that box out and you pulled out some stuff from your car. That was winter preparedness, and I used that as an illustration to communicate our need to be prepared. 
And so I got that. And then I asked the question, if you were spiritually prepared, if you were awake when it comes to matters of faith, specifically if you are ready for Jesus' return, like last week, we are going to be looking at a text that teaches us about preparedness. But before you check out, I want you to know it's not the same message because this is preparedness with a twist. So, let's dig in together. Let's look at that first verse. As Jesus begins telling his disciples and all who read the story, he's speaking it to the disciples in that first century context and all of us who read it in years down the road of what a kingdom of heaven will look like. And here's what he says. He said, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamp and they went to meet the bridegroom. Now, in the story, Jesus tells us that it will be like ten young women who are part of a wedding celebration. Now, it's important for us to recognize that when we're comparing wedding celebrations from that time period to the time period that we talked about at the beginning of the message and kind of that year-long process, the experiences are very, very different. When you talk about this first century uh, wedding experience, it was a drawn-out affair. It was not something that happened that you planned for a year and happened like that. This instead is something that is a drawn-out experience. A wedding ceremony happened for a couple of days, sometimes even for a couple of weeks. For those of you who have parents in the room, you can be very grateful that you don't have to pay for a wedding ceremony of a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, what we have is a drawn-out wedding ceremony. We have a group of ten virgins, and I want you to think about that as bridesmaids in our culture. And you have a bridegroom who is soon to return to be united with his bride. That's the setting. And I hope that just right there, you're getting to see that this is kind of mirrors another larger story. But let's dig in and see, see what this story has for us. Let's continue in verse 2. It says, five of them, five of the virgins or the bridesmaids, were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, this is where the story gets interesting. You see, there were five of these young ladies who Jesus described as foolish. Five who took no oil. They had a lamp, but they didn't bother to take any oil. Five who looked the part, they looked like they could carry out the task. But in reality, they were sorely lacking. Now, how do we know this? We know this because they were not prepared for the bridegroom's return. Now, contrast that with the group that Jesus calls wise. But the wise, well, they took flasks of oil with their lamps. Oh, okay. We can see that there's one group that's prepared and that there's one group that is not prepared. Got it. One group that is foolish, Jesus says, because of their lack of preparedness, and then the other group that is wise, according to Jesus, because of their readiness. What Jesus is painting for us, as we talked about a moment ago, is a verbal picture of the world around us. 
This is true of those of us who are sitting here today. There is one group who appears to be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. They look the part, and then there is another group that is actually ready. They actually have oil for their lamps so that they might light the night. There's one group that's going through the motions. And then there's another group that's truly prepared for their task. Jesus calls one group foolish and one group wise. Here's an obvious question. Which group would you rather be considered part of? Any fools in the room? Of course not. You see, the group who has brought the tools and the resources to be prepared for their jobs, we all want to be among that category, don't we? But here's the problem. We might not be. I know that's the right answer, and you know that that's the right answer. That's the answer that we would want to be able to ask. But let me tweak the question just a little bit and ask you this. Which group are you representing? Not which group do you want to represent. Which group are you representing? You see, the lesson that Jesus is teaching here pertains to people like you and like me today because it is about preparedness. It is about our training. Is it, about our, it is about our readiness, and it is about our discipleship. It's about a heart that's deepest desire is to love Jesus and to follow in his ways. That is a heart that is prepared. It's prepared. And church, this truth, this is the first of three pretty difficult truths found in this parable. And the first is this. Superficial discipleship is not preparation. Superficial discipleship is not preparation. You see, the foolish, when they went through the motions of preparedness, they looked like they were prepared. They had their lamps. But they were not. Now, the same can be said for some of us here this morning. Some of us come to church. Some of us look like we're discipled men and women, but yet our hearts are far from God. You guys, you guys have heard me say this many times, going to church is good. I'm glad you're here. I hope that you'll continue to come. I hope that you will come back. But I want to be very clear, coming to church does not make you a Christian. Genuine belief happens when you and I respond to the gospel, when we respond in repentance and faith. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, through faith, we are forgiven. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, you and I are redeemed. And ultimately, in Him, in Christ, we are made new. But like the five virgins who had a lamp but no oil, 
Superficial religious activities is not true discipleship. It is not authentic faith. It is not true readiness. Now let's listen to the words of Jesus coming from a different segment of Matthew's gospel. And I think you'll see the importance and the intensity of what Jesus communicates. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, that's the biblical text, but here's what you and I might be saying. Wait a second, Pastor. I've read the Bible all my life. What about me? I serve here at this church. Every time I walk by one of those little black boxes on the way out of church, I give my money. Are you telling me those are all good things? Reading your Bible, serving, giving, those are all good things, but the truth is they can all mask a superficial, religious, active heart instead of a true heart for Christ. Those things are rooted in works, not in the person of Christ, and there is a massive difference Here's what the difference looks like in this text. If you're resting on works today, you have a lamp. You have works, but you don't have any oil. You're a lamp without oil apart from Christ. And what Jesus longs for you to hear in this time is that he wants your heart he wants you to walk in His ways. He wants you to be a true disciple, to have true readiness and preparedness, because preparedness really is a humble heart that is fully surrendered to Him. Now let's continue in the story. Pick it up at verse 5. We're going to read just one verse. It says, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. The bridegroom has not come back yet. There's been some kind of delay. So what happens? The ten virgins go to sleep. Now, it's very easy for us to be tempted to say, Well, hey, wait a second. They all seem lazy. What are they doing? They're supposed to be ready and active, ready for the bridegroom to come back. That's not it. We know this because Jesus did not categorize the wise people and the foolish people as that's who went to sleep. He said they all went to sleep, both the wise and the foolish. So what does that communicate? It communicates that sleep is a normal part of the rhythm of our lives. Remember, a parable marries this truth with something that's going on in our lives, and that's what we see here. We work and we rest and we wait for the second coming of Christ. And this helps us see the second hard truth from this parable today, that delays test our preparation. 
See, we have normal rhythms in our lives, don't we? And in those spaces, we have time to prepare. We work and we rest and we repeat. We work and we rest and we have, we do it again. And it's in that consistent rhythm of work and of rest that you and I must ask ourselves, is there any time for God? We live in a hurried, busy culture. Every single person here in this room, I guarantee you this last week when somebody said, how are you doing? You said, I'm really busy. It is a problem in our culture. We work and we're called to rest We're called to rest in Jesus, to humbly offer ourselves to Him afresh as we eagerly await His second coming. But I want to be honest about something. If you've been a believer for a long time and the world has got you down, it has weighed heavy on you, you're waiting and waiting and waiting Let me encourage you, keep waiting, keep resting in Him, because that's where you will experience deep, rich preparation for that day, for that day. Now, let's look back at our story. Let's pick it up at verse 6. He says, but at midnight there was a cry, here's the bridegroom. Let's go out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him into the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Suddenly, the bridegroom has returned. He's back, and the bridesmaids were called to grab their lamps and do their jobs. But you know what? Half of them can't. They've got the lamp, but they've got no oil. They cannot do what they're called to do. And I find fascinating in this text what happens next. They started trimming their lamps. They started trimming their lamps. They might say, well, what does that mean? Well, see, here's what happens. When they neglected the means by which they were actually to perform their duties, they all begin to trim their lamps. What are they doing? They're making it look good. They're putting on a facade like, hey, you know what? I'm ready. I don't have any oil, but my lamp is trimmed. You see, in this moment, what do they ask for? They ask for some oil. They're seeking to borrow the preparedness of the wise. The problem is they can't. They can't. And this exposes the third hard truth from today's parable, that preparation cannot be borrowed. Preparation can't be borrowed. You see, Jesus wants his followers in that first century context and all of us who are hearing the story today that there is no borrowing of shared 
or sharing of preparedness. We cannot do that. In God's kingdom, there is no possibility of you sharing your holiness with me and me sharing my holiness with you and so on. That's not how it works. And the wise young women in this, woman in this text, in our parable, they didn't share their oil. And neither can true believers today. We don't share our oil. Church faith in Christ is personal. We practice it in community. But the truth is, our faith is personal. We cannot prepare for the kingdom based on the merits of our parents. But wait a second, my parents have been in this church for 30 years. What are you talking about? It doesn't matter. But wait a second, my wife is a believer. I, I, I think, I mean, I see her read the Bible all the time. I'm going to get in on her coattails. No, you're not. What about the guy sitting next to me? I like, that's not how it works. This is why the wise young women in our parable didn't share their oil, and you and I can't share our oil for someone else today. Because preparation for the return of Christ cannot be borrowed. Now you might say, well, pastor, that is harsh. I don't like that. Let's look at the next text to see that it doesn't come from me. It comes from from Jesus. Here's what he says. Afterwards, the other virgins came. Remember, they went away to get oil, and so they come back, and afterwards they say, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. Let us in. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Listen to those words again. Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Those are terrifying words. Those are intense words that should cut us to our core. And sadly, that is what many people will hear. Well, they'll say, well, I went to church. I gave. I went on trips. I, I did all that stuff. Jesus will look and he'll say, I never knew you. You didn't know me, and I didn't know you. And that is an intense reality for every single person here today. Now, I know that might seem intense, because it is. But there's good news. There is good news, and that's what we're going to close. For those who have been made wise in Christ, well, how does that happen? Through repentance and faith. When we repent of our sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus, we become wise because of Christ. Jesus has secured everything for you to be ready. Jesus has done it. That, friends, is the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel, and that's what it means for the church, known as the bride of Christ, to be ready because the bridegroom is coming back. The bridegroom is coming back, and true disciples, true disciples who prepared for the future through genuine submission of our hearts and our minds to Him, we 
We are empowered by the Spirit of God to love Him, to trust Him, and to live for Him in readiness. Are you a true disciple? Is your lamp in hand with oil? Are you prepared? Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.